All righty, gentlemen. Okay, just so you all know that there's a break after this class before lunch. And Andy and I were talking, and we're going to designate it nap time. So we're going to get started here so we can maximize nap time. How's that sound? What's that? Okay. <laughs> he was asking me if I wanted to go jogging this morning. <laughs> what were you running from? <laughs> Exercise. <laughs> anyway, guys, I was I was a little jacked up on preparing for this class. I looked at the the I thought I was doing having grit as a husband and father. And I looked at the list this morning and I saw that those are two separate classes. And so I had to ask Mike, hey, which one am I doing? And uh, he says, you're doing husbands, I'm doing fathers. I said, okay, great. I kind of prepared for both. And um, guys, a little bit different. I, I don't know, you know, is in the lesson like normal if you're looking for three points or how to's? Uh, I, it's really just gonna be some real sharing. And uh, I just want to start off telling you a bit of my story as a husband and father. And I guess probably to really tell it accurately, you got to go back to my childhood, okay? And, and what went into, you know, how I came in to being, a, you know, what I came in, the baggage I came into being a husband and a father with. And, uh, you know, my family was your stereotypical American dysfunctional family. I don't know how else to put that. My parents were not equipped to be parents. They did not know how to be parents. They didn't know how to live their own lives very well, is the best way I can say that. Uh, the divorce didn't happen until I was 16 years old, and that just simply made something final. I mean, I didn't really feel anything when the divorce happened. When my dad moved out at the beginning of my junior year, I didn't feel much. Because honestly, we were disbanded as a family several years before that. And uh, even at the age, I remember the age of 12, taking a look around at my family and my best friend's family and the Cleavers, and the Bradys. And I said, what is this family supposed to look like? And uh, I looked at the Bradys and the Cleavers, and I, you know, in all my 12-year-old wisdom, I, I realized those aren't right. You know, somebody scripted those. So I really can't base it off those. I looked at my friend's fam best friend's family, and I didn't see nothing that got me excited there other than the fact that Dad had a steady job and steady income. And I kind of like that idea. Um, but I looked, I looked at all of them, I go, I don't know what's right. I don't know which family's right. And so I just said, well, I just need to kind of separate, separate me from, from, what, from my family that exists. The way I describe it now is I, at the age of 12, I emotionally divorced myself from my family. I mean, very conscious thought, which is scary all by itself to think at the age of 12 you could do that um, and be aware of that. And I decided that I would experience family and I would feel love and be loved when I had a family of my own. And that all centered around me finding a woman that was going to complete me, that was going to love me, and was going to satisfy me then I could be the man that God wanted me to be. You know, everything was just going to fall into place. 
Well, you know, I got married at the age of 26. Uh, Susan was actually the, the second woman that I had asked to marry me. The first one had enough sense to back out. It's the best way I know to describe that at this point in time. And, um, you know, I've been... Susan, she will. You know it. You guys are going to tell. You do tell. It's too late now anyway. Susan, Susan and I have been married for 25 years. And I've said before, it's not 25 happy years. And the main reason it was not happy was because Gary was not happy. And because, just in all honesty, Gary was a quitter. I mean, that was the way, you know, if I would have, if I would have ever went to a 12-step meeting, I think that's what I would have had to introduce myself. Hi, my name is Gary, and I'm a quitter. And that's, that's my background. That's my nature. Um, the majority of the early years, uh, I struggled with depression. Didn't know, didn't know it for a lot of that time. I was my, in my late 30s before somebody brought the, suggested the idea that I was depressed. And I'm like, wow, that fits. You know, I always thought that was for whack jobs. You know, depression was for people who went to psychiatrists. And I never saw myself needing a psychiatrist. And so I never looked at myself as depressed. You look at it now and it's like, good night was I depressed. And... Um, Guys, very fearful, and you know, guys, when you, when I'm, God's shown me lately just how fearful I've been and how fear has dominated my life in so many different ways. And you know, one of the stories in the Bible that I relate to is the parable of the talents. You know, the guy that he gave the five talents to, and the two talents, and the one talent. And that one talent guy, that when the master comes back and he says, what did you do? What happened? He says, man, I was afraid of losing your money. I buried it. Look, I saved it. Here's, here's it all back. I didn't lose any of it. And, you know, Jesus didn't say, you wicked, fearful servant. He said, you wicked, lazy servant. And so I was a guy that, you know, was a queer, was fearful, and was lazy. Alright? And those three things are a weird combination, or I guess a great combination for a marriage to fail, and for a family to fail. And guys, when I look at it, I look back, it is amazing. I mean, that's just one of the things. When you want to talk about the patience of God, I have no problem understanding that because I should have been wiped out of the picture long ago based on the way I was. And now what's scary, guys, is that the majority of that time, a big, no, all of that time that I was doing that, that I was living that way, I was a greater own. I claimed the name of Jesus as a follower, as a disciple. All right? I did teaching of classes. And yet, there was something wrong internally with me. And guys, when you talk about having grit, well, how did Gary, how did you, how did a quitter become a grit, you know, have any grit? Um... 
I just got to tell you guys, there's one, there's one thing in particular. I'm, I'm, I'm only going to talk about two things here today. Um, let me go back a little bit. Let me go back. Just continuing on, guys. I, uh, I started my, uh, my auto glass company. I'm, I'm just wanting to share where I was. I want you guys to get a picture of where I was as a husband and a father. And guys, let's just be honest. They go together. All right. I'm going to talk about being a parent because if, if you're playing, if you are, if you're not, if you're, if you're a husband, odds are you're going to be a parent. If you want to be a husband, odds are you're wanting to be a parent too. And uh, and they are interconnected like it's nobody's business. Um, but I started my business ten and a half months before uh, Jonathan was born. And you know, Susan and I, we had decided that. She didn't want to work. We didn't want her to work while we had young children. And uh, I had no other visible means to earn a living. I started my auto glass business ten and a half months before. It started picking up. I just really started taking off where I could earn a living literally weeks before Jonathan was born. And in all my, again, infinite wisdom, Jonathan was born. He was a planned C-section on a Thursday morning. Um... He was born at somewhere between 8 and 8.30. I don't remember the exact time. We went into the, I got into the OR about 8 o'clock. I know that. And um, by noon, you know, baby was born. Jonathan was here. We'd been in the room, done all the stuff. And I had started to receive, uh, not phone calls, my pager went off from customers. And I was, uh, you know, business was taking off and I was afraid to say no to it. And so by noon, I had left the hospital and was going to pick up glass, and I put in two windshields the afternoon Jonathan was born. And I remember calling uh, Robert Cox at the time to say, Hey, Jonathan's born. Hey, what's going on? Well, I'm on my way to put in glass. And I just remembered this. I don't know how else to put it, okay? A lack of emotional connection to the, to the birth of my child. Okay, I mean, you guys have no doubt I love my child. You know, I've heard stories of of uh, of people just, you know, uh, Mary Napoli's dad, Joe. You know, if, you, if some of you know Joe, I've just heard him talk about just just being overcome with emotion at the birth of Mary. You know, his oldest child, just just bawling, sobbing, was just overcome with emotion. I didn't feel that. I cannot explain it, don't understand it, um, other than to say I was not where I should have been. I wasn't where I was, and um, I didn't feel what I thought I should feel. Um, that was in 94. In 1998, by 1998, business was cranking. Uh, I was driving a brand new truck, uh, living in a six-year-old house that we had just part purchased. And I just remember driving home one night going, man, I've got all this success. But once I walk inside that house, it ain't what I want. It's not what I want it to be. And, guys, we did everything we knew to do. I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to say that. Everything we knew to do at the time. Uh, they came back from Tulsa, and we heard about Joe Beam. This would been 97. Uh, before we got into the house, and, and Joe Beam has had this new deal. His needs, her needs, 
and uh, facilitators and his great success at helping marriages. And boy, I signed up. I think it was $250 or $500 for the training to become a facilitator. And they told you, man, this class does miracles for marriages. And if you really want the miracle, you, you need to be a facilitator because you get more out of facilitating than the people do in the class because, you know, more is expected of you. And because you've gone through this in, weekend of intense training and boy, marriage goes way up. It didn't work. Is that fair to say? It didn't work. And it kind of complicated things for me. You see, because the principle of his needs, her needs is, the problem, the pro- the problem with marriage is, is you don't know how to communicate and meet each other's needs. That, that's the way it is. And so the His Needs, Her Needs class, the Family Dynamics puts on, is set up for you to be able to communicate your emotional needs to your spouse and for her to communicate her emotional needs to you, and then you can meet them. Okay? And But it sets it up as almost kind of a... a let me let me let me say this. It impacted me as a conditional love kind of thing. Okay? Because when Susan didn't meet my needs the way I thought they should be met, the way I wanted them to be met, I really didn't feel like wasn't real motivated to love her. Now the problem with that whole system is that's not biblical. Jesus doesn't say, hey, the more your wife meets your needs, the more you'll feel like loving her, and you'll do it. He just tells me to love her. In fact, he tells me to love her the way Jesus loves the church. And how did Jesus love the church? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were doing nothing for Him, when we were actively living our life opposed to Him, He loved us enough to sacrifice heaven first and His physical life second. And that's how I'm supposed to love my wife. And so guys, I was was just miserable. I was miserable. I was depressed. And that's where it was. But guys, I got to tell you, I only had one thing in me. There was one thing. I had quit on many fronts when it came to being a husband. And just in so many ways. But there was one way that I had not quit. I hadn't left the battle entirely. You know, I mean, I hadn't got divorced. And I hadn't committed suicide. All right? Because those were, those were the end-alls. Those were the atom bombs for me. And, and my motivation in either of those was they finally to say, because I blamed Susan. I blamed her, for, which wasn't right. I pay for that to this day. Those were the atom bombs. And it was going to be, this was the atom bomb, dear. I'm gone. You're on your own. But I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that for one very, very simple reason. And you know what that was? I believe God. You know, my, uh, Danny got up here last night and he starts, a bait, starts right off the bat. You're stealing my thunder, Danny. When you're t- you got to have faith. That's what he's talking about last night. You've got to have faith. Guys, why didn't I divorce my wife? Why didn't I commit suicide? 
Two, one reason. One reason. Because I knew if I did either of those things, I was making a very bold statement that said, God, I do not believe you. That's what it was. And when I got, I mean, I got backed up. I wasn't doing what God said. I wasn't living by faith. But it got down to the baseline for me. And that is, I, I grew up my whole life believing in God. I grew up my whole life believing the Bible was His Word and that the promises were real. I mean, I taught them to people. And for me to finally either divorce Susan or commit suicide meant I was saying, God, I do not believe you and I guess I, I, I that's the first thing if you're going to have grit as a husband you have to have real faith you have to believe that you are where God wants you to be and that it is no accident if you ever heard somebody say oh they just married the wrong person Okay, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands of who and how many have thought I've married the wrong person. Or if I had known, I would not have married. You see, guys, I don't believe that's the case. You see, because I believe what God says. And there's a passage, there's a quote of Jesus, and I'm not going to give reference on these. If you want to go look them up, you can. I'd just rather have a conversation. But, you know, we look at it mainly to say you're not supposed to divorce. And what Jesus has said, he made this simple sign. He says, what God has put together, let no man tear apart. Or put asunder. Is that correct? Let no man tear apart. What does that say? If you're a legalist, that says, don't divorce. You are not supposed to divorce. But if you're a man of faith, what does that say? God puts you with that person. So what it says, what God has put together... Oh no, Gary, you don't understand. I chose her, you know? I mean, I chose her. I thought I wanted her, I, and I made a mistake. I'm human, and I made a mistake. God didn't put this together. Well, then you're calling Jesus a liar. That's right. Do you believe God or not? That's what he's saying. You know, well, you don't understand, you know, I'll go back to the old days. This is, you know, she got pregnant, and I felt like I had to marry her, you know, and family put pressure on her. God didn't do this, you know. We made a mistake, and then felt we had to. People made us, you know, the old shotgun wedding. Which, by the way, is how my grandma literally got married the first time. Um, her uncle called in the guy that got her pregnant. They went to see him at his town, and he said he got. As he tells the, retold the story to his son, he said, "Yeah, he says, here's the deal. Jesse's pregnant. He puts a pistol on the seat beside him and says, what are we going to do about it?' <laughs> and he says, 20 minutes later, I was married. <laughs> Guys, you know, I don't care what you, what reason you look at, as to say this is why I got married." If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you believe what He says, He says God has put your marriage together. Well, yeah, you don't understand. They're not a believer. God, what God's put together. What God has put together. You see, guys, when you realize God has put your marriage together, it changes things. Okay? I'm not in it for me. You know, Robert Cox handed me the book Sacred Marriage. 
which says right on the cover, maybe your marriage was supposed to make you holy instead of happy. I can't tell you anything else the book said. Probably because I only read two chapters. Got mad at the book. Okay? But that book helped to change my thinking. Because I believe God. And you see, what started to happen is where God started to rip apart my erroneous paradigms, okay? My wrong ideas about what marriage was supposed to do. God, God had to change it. Gary, I don't expect Susan to make you happy. I'm supposed to make you happy. You're supposed to be happy independent of Susan. In fact, at one time, God told me I was on the patio of my back out back of my house I was walking through it and I just hadn't had to start and this is what it was God said to me Gary right now I'm opposed to Susan making you happy I do not want her to be the woman that you want her to be because if she is you will not need me and guys I mean I believe God I believe God what he says I believe he put my marriage together. I decided that I was going to look at his word in a different way. You know, it was along this it was about this time that we started the recovery ministry at church, and I can't tell you a whole lot of with inaccuracy about the recovery ministry, but I can tell you one thing, and that is that the way they defined insanity you know, insanity is when you keep doing the same things the same way and expect a different result. You've heard that, right? Mm-hmm. And that's literally what, it's, what happened. Was going, if, if, if my thought processes have got me here, I need to start looking at things differently. And that means I probably need to try to look and see what God says is different. Now, guys, just a side note. I told you I blamed Susan. Can I tell you I had some people around me at the time that, that saw it my way? I mean, I had leaders in the church who I'd shared the details with, and they never, they never said to me, Gary, you're selfish, and you're looking at this wrong. They thought she was wrong. Okay? And so I realized, I've got, I, God, you've got to show me what's going on here. I believe that, I, I, that if I'm to live my life by faith, is I've got to trust you. I believe you answer prayer. I believe that if I seek, I'll find. Show me, God. Show me what you're doing. And, and that, those are the things he did. You know, number one, like I just said, it, one of the first things I believed was God put us together. Another thing, guys, Hebrews chapter 12, it says to endure hardship as discipline. Okay? It helps if you translate that word discipline training. It says endure hardship as training. And then the next words are, God is treating you as a son. For what father doesn't discipline or train his son? Well, you see, I believe God. What does that mean? That means He takes hard times. He takes difficult things. And He uses them to train me. To train me. And what father doesn't discipline his son? Last summer, um, you know, my lack of grit over the years has showed up in my children. I mean, I don't have it. I don't, get, I don't teach them how to have it, do I? And Jonathan, 
you know, we've talked, and he sees these things. And two years ago, when he got out of high school, he made a decision that he wanted to have character. And he pushes through it. But guess what? He doesn't... It doesn't come naturally, okay? Uh, others discipline... Other people disciplining me so that I learn to discipline myself. He still needs other people to discipline him. Last summer, uh, and I'm his father. I'm to do this. And he works with me. He works for me. And last summer, he was doing something. He was changing... Some t- had a difficult task. He had to take four wheels and tires off his old car and put them on his sister's car. Okay, it was June. It was 90 degrees. He had been sick for a week. Now, how hard is it to take four tires off, four wheels of tires off, put four on? Well, it's not too bad until you strip out a lug nut. All right? Then, he, so he, you know, and I'm a dad. He's on the phone with me. He says, well, Dad, what do I do here? I said, well, you're at the body shop. Go in and see what they got that can help you with this. You know, you can try to grab with vice grips. I think I, sh- I can get a grinder from the car wash and grind it off. I said, that's what you want to do? Come get it. He came and got it. You know, he talked, he, he went back, and, you know, he grinded it off. Well, then it was, you know, it's flanged, so it doesn't just come off then. Okay, it's difficult. And he's on the phone with me, you know, and I said, son, you just, I don't remember what exactly I said, but son, you just got to push through it. You just got to push through it. And he, um, oh, what was I going to say? He, you know, he comes back to the car wash later, and Michael and I are there working, and he is hot, he is red, you know, and we're laughing, we're going, you built some character today. You ain't feeling it yet, are you? No, I'm not feeling it yet. <laughs> He goes to class that night. He's at SIU. He calls his mom after class. He goes, can I go to the Walgreens Get Well Clinic? And she says, well, just wait. I'll take you to the the doctor tomorrow. I'll call you to the doctor. So he goes to the doctor on Tuesday. I come home. And she says, oh, by the way, Jonathan has mono. (laughs) So he had pushed through to do this, not knowing I had pushed him. I'm sorry, okay? I had pushed him through. To finish this task in the heat, uncomfortable. Guys, that's my role as a father. And that's what Hebrews 12 is saying, is that God treats you that way. I'm guessing we want to show hands. The majority of us are going to look around and go, I didn't have a father in my life to train me like that. I mean, I know from talking to a lot of you, that's just the way it exists. Okay, you don't have a physical father that trains you that way. Did you know that that's the way the God is still trying to father you that way? Amen. That is what it is. You have hardships, you have difficulties in your marriage. God is trying to shape you. He is trying to shape you. Do you believe Him? You see, because that's what Hebrews 12 says. See, you know, the difference is, you know the difference between Jonathan and Jordan? Jonathan has chosen to that. He didn't buck, he didn't, when he called me on the phone, he was trying to get out of it. He wanted me to say, well, I'll come up and help. He wanted me to say, well, just come on down here and forget about it for now. He wanted me to do that, but he needed me to say, push through it. And he was willing to submit to that. That's the difference. Okay? The question is, will you submit to that? Will you submit to God fathering you now in your marriage and as a parent? When things get difficult, are you looking to say, 
Number one, am I going to stick with this or am I going to quit? Number two is, am I going to learn what He wants me to learn? You see, guys, that's what Hebrews 12 is telling you. Endure hardship as discipline. The other, another verse that came to life is, is a very, very popular one in Romans chapter 8. It says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And usually people stop after that verse. You know, I don't know what he's trying to do, but I know that in all things God works. And so I just trust that he's going to make something good come from this. You heard that? Okay, you said that? Read the next verse, would you? (laughs) Because the next verse says, because those he foreknow, he predestined for them to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Right. You want to know what God's trying to do in all things, in your difficult things. I can tell you, He's trying to make you be like His Son, Jesus Christ. And guys, you see what happens, and that's the second thing, that's the second thing literally, that I want to talk about. You've got to, number one, you've got to really believe God. You've got to have a real faith. You've got to trust that God is fathering you if you're going to have real grit in your marriage and as a parent. And number two is, you've got to have purpose. You see, enduring hard times for the sake of hard times isn't any fun. No. It's not any fun at all. We were talking this morning at breakfast, and we got talking about uh, special army, you know, special forces. We started talking about the movie Lone Survivor. We started talking about a Navy SEAL that's on a a TV show called Dude, You're Screwed. Okay? Uh, We started talking about the, the, the Discovery. Uh, Discovery did a, a series several years ago on na- Navy SEAL training. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever what goes on in Navy SEAL training? It is insane. It is insane what those guys go through. I love it because the one my favorite segment on that series, and I didn't see the whole series, was on Hell Week. And during Hell Week, you can go ring the bell and quit anytime you want. And they're telling you, quit, ring the bell. It's five and a half days where you get about three hours of sleep. And you're wet and cold and sandy the whole time. And somebody's in your face the whole time. And they're all, they're all, their whole design is to say, who's going to quit? Who's going to quit? Who's going to quit? And I love that they interviewed a guy, at the, uh, one of the guys that rang the bell. <laughs> you know, he's delirious. He hasn't slept in three days. And he says, yeah, I just realized that I, this isn't really what I want to do. <laughs> You know, it's like, you just realized that? No, it got so hard that you wanted to quit. It got so difficult. Guys, the only thing that keeps me going a lot of times is that I understand that there's a purpose for me going on. It's not just about enduring to say I did it. Okay, it's not so that I can say I, you know... I ran a marathon, or I ran a half marathon, or I did a triathlon, the Ironman. It's not anything like that. It is, there is a purpose to it. There is a reason for it. And guys, you have to see a purpose in what you're doing. Several years ago, I started looking... I started seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Five, six years ago, I forget, eight years ago. And the light at the end of the tunnel was... The kids are going to be out of this house. The kids are going to be out of high school. And I thought, boy, it's, it's going to be easier. You know, I'm going to have less work to do. <laughs> and God just kind of, 
Do you think being a father stops then? No, it doesn't. Well, why, why do I say it? Because, guys, I know. I grew up without a father. My father still is not, even though I've invited him in, he, he still struggles with how to run his own life. He doesn't know how to help me. He doesn't know. I wish he did. Guess what? I don't want my kids to have that same experience with their dad. Right. You know, I was, Susan and I were about to get married. Oh, no, was, we were dating. This was maybe a year before we were married. She moved to Edwardsville. Her dad, or her mom, was, was concerned. I was living in Edwardsville. She was living in Alton. She moved to Edwardsville. And her mom was concerned that we might be too close. You know, that because we now live closer together, we would fall into sexual sin. That was her mother's concern. Um, not to be worried, didn't have him, but I was on my phone with my dad, and I was sharing, my, sharing that with my dad. And my dad's like, oh, I try to stay out of your life. And he gave me his normal little speech, you know, that I have, had had infinite times since the divorce. And I said, well, you know, Dad, you did walk away, and you did give up your rights as my father I said but I want to let you know I'm giving them back to you I says I'm I'm opening myself up to you to help now I didn't realize his limitations his inability and he didn't take advantage of that he did not because I don't want my, my kids to feel that way my purpose I understand I look at this as a generational thing I, I, I wanted to often do a study on generationalism. And all, all it is is it goes, what you do, in fact, imp- impacts your next generation. What I'm doing right now, the decisions I make, the decisions I make about my character for the rest of my life will impact my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren that I may never know. Guys, I have a purpose. And what is that... I, I want them to be men and women of God. I want them to be people that experience following Jesus, not going to church. Not that I don't want them to go to church, but I don't want them to just go to church, okay? Let me be clear there. Guys, I want them to be people who know what it means to follow Jesus and for their life to be like Jesus. Guys, that's what keeps me going. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. that. That... This deal with Jordan and him deciding not to follow Jesus? You know, I hadn't been tempted to quit in a really long time. I mean, I was gone. Is that fair? I mean, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't ready to quit. You know that thought hits me every now and then when it comes to Jordan? And guys, why don't I quit? Well, number one, because I believe God. And I believe Jordan's story is still being written. Right. And I believe that uh, if I quit, his story may be done. And guys, not only that, I'm guessing, I'm trying to look around the room, We're, you're mainly younger people here, right? Okay, there's a few of us older. You older parents made any mistakes as parents? Oh, a lot of Yeah. Guys, I don't believe mistakes are terminal. I believe, I've said this for years, guys, that, uh, that I'm playing catch-up as a parent. You know, the things that Mike... I had a hard time listening to Mike. 
It's not that he said anything bad. Or that his voice is bad. But I had a hard time listening to him because I didn't do a lot of things he, he did. Okay? And I, and I pay for it now. And I've watched God turn those things around. And I'm thinking that I'm not the only one that's like that. I'm thinking that there's more of us out here and more yet to come that have made mistakes and they see things as terminal. And they think, I can't do anything about this. My children are grown. Or my children are out of the house. Or my children never knew. I didn't follow Jesus when they were young. They don't follow Him now. I don't believe the story's over. And one of the reasons I don't quit is because I believe God put me here for a purpose. And I believe it's to let other people know that. You know, for years, I believe what I heard as a parent, as a father, is do it this way. Do it the way I did it, and everything will be okay. And then if you didn't do it that way, you're screwed. Okay? I don't believe that's the way God works. And I want, I want, guys, it gives me purpose. That's why I don't, that's one of the reasons I don't quit. Okay, I mean it's twofold. It's I'm sorry. My main purpose is my family first. I want them to be men and women of faith. Secondly, is to show other people, is to teach other people, is to be an example for other people. That hey, I screwed up, but I believe God, and I'm not going to stop trusting God. So guys, when it comes to having grit as a husband and as a father. I just want to leave you with that. Number one is, do you, do you believe God? You see, guys, the way we're set up today as Christianity in America, we're set up primarily as a clergy laity system. Primarily. You've got the clergy, the preachers, the elders, the ministry leaders, and those are the men and women of God, the men and women of faith. And the others just kind of follow. I don't believe that's the way God wants it set up. When I look at the Old Testament and I look at the men and women that He called, whether it was Gideon or whether it was Micah or whether it was Jonah, I don't see a clergy system. I see Him calling men and women of faith. And guys, I just want to put that before you today when you talk about having grit. You, want to have, you need to see yourself as a man of God. Just like any of the Old Testament prophets. You may not be in a book. Nobody may, they tell your story. But you need to believe that God has His hand on you and has a mission for you. The same way He did for any of those guys. And second, guys, you've got to have a purpose. You gotta have a purpose. And guys, I just want to expand this real quick here. Let me talk about purpose. Because your family first, yes. But not your family only. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. And I and, and, and this is this is gaining some steam among among our, our, our church. 
but I just want to bring attention to it more so than, than ever. And guys, even guys, you older guys, and, and, you, and you look at, you know, your children are gone or your children are in the area or whatever the case may be. Young men need us. Yeah. Okay? Young men need us. One of the things we're really trying to force through here or push through at Greater Alton is a segmentation. You know, here's the teen ministry. Here's the campus ministry. Here's the young adult ministry. Here's the adults. Guys, I, I want those lines blurred. Amen. Okay? And they are beginning to blur. I see it all the time. Campus guys and girls reaching down to high schoolers. High schoolers reaching down to middle schoolers and grade schoolers. And not to mention the number of kids that are here without parents at all. All right? And, and those, those people need to reach up to yes. like the senior citizens because they really feel like excluded. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're totally correct. And guys, I'm going to be honest with you. It takes, all it takes is deciding that that's a purpose that you have from God. Okay, that's not just me. That's a purpose that you have from God. I reach down to little kids more than you know. I mean, it's just, it's just I have little, little bitty little kids that, that run up to give me a hug because I see myself as a purpose more than just me. I'm not there to church just to get something for me. And guys, I just want to encourage you to see yourself in that role. To see yourself as uncle or grandpa or whatever role you want to see, okay? Crazy uncle, crazy cousin. (laughs) Go for it. But you have a voice into, into, into younger people's lives and into older people's lives. And that's what we have. Let's pray and we'll be done, all right? Father, I thank you for uh, for where I've come, and Father, I thank you for that because it's a uh, it's just an overwhelming display of your love and your patience, and honestly, God, of your faithfulness to not only me but to to, to anybody who chooses to seek you and to follow you. Father, I just want to pray right now. Grit's not something I come by naturally or and not something I have an overabundance of, in all honesty. I'm a plotter. I just want to keep moving forward. I, don't, I try not to set lofty goals because I've failed so many times. I just want to keep moving forward. And I keep want, want to make sure that as I move forward, Father, that my actions are actions that, that, that come from You. And that I trust You. And then I can point to, I'm taking these actions because of what you have said to me. Not in my head, but in your word. Father, I just want to pray right now that we can be men who have grit as husbands and fathers. And that, Father, we can be men who truly trust you. And, Father, that you should reveal a purpose to each one of us. Father, I just, I just want to ask right now, Whenever I talk like this, I, I, I wonder if people think I'm a little nuts, you know. Um, but Father, I believe with all my heart that you want to father each and every man in this room in the circumstances they're in for a very specific purpose. 
And Father, I just want to pray that you can open, open our eyes to see that and to believe that. And Father, to move forward. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.